You're listening to Food Trucks in Babylon, a Western Seminary podcast with Dr. Todd Miles and Dr. Patrick Schreiner. Listen as they discuss matters of faith, theology, and culture in a post-Christian world. Hey, this is Patrick. And this is Todd. And today we're talking with Carmen Imes. She's here from Canada, right? That's where you teach? That's right. Yeah, Great and north. Yeah, and what school are you at? I'm at Prairie College in Three Hills, Alberta. Nice. Okay, and how long have you been there? This is my third year. Okay, and you just came out with a brand new book. Can you I tell did. us a little bit about the name and what you're trying to do in the book? Yeah, the book is called Bearing God's Name, Why Sinai Still Matters. And I'm basically trying to make a case for why Christians need the Old Testament. Nice. And why we ought to read it. Yeah. So that's a pretty hot topic right now. Yeah, um, you're going against the flow. Culture <laughs> right now. I, yeah. I wish it wasn't against the flow, yeah. but yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah. I feel like you're swimming upstream a little bit. You know, I feel like the, the book is catching on really fast, and there's a lot of people who would like to know what to do with the Old Testament, but they've just, they feel all thumbs when they come to it because there's so many things that feel foreign or feel like, what do we do with this? This doesn't fit our culture or our context. And so, you know, one impulse is to just, leave it aside, and let's just focus on Jesus. Right, um, right. I, I don't think that works very well. I don't yeah. think we get Jesus well without the Old Testament. Right. So. so tell us a little history of this book. Did you do, you did your work in Old Testament, is that correct? I did. Yeah, I did my PhD at Wheaton College in nice. biblical theology with a concentration in Old Testament. Okay. And this was my topic, uh, mm-hmm. the topic of bearing God's name. I focused in on the command not to take the Lord's name in vain and uh, offered a reinterpretation of that command. Nice. Um We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll, yeah. Get to, we'll get to that. Um, so that was the impetus for this project because all the way through the dissertation, I kept thinking, this is so cool. Mm-hmm. I want like regular people to hear this. I don't, most people aren't going to pick up my dissertation and want to read it. Um, I've had a few family members who even got mad at me when they tried. Yeah, because it was so expensive. No, well, expensive, <laughs> and you know, my my writing grandma, style is different. My grandma said, "Carmen, I knew I wouldn't be able to understand the Hebrew, right, right. but you didn't tell me I wasn't yeah. going to be able to understand the English." Yeah, it's very technical. Right. It's it's a lot of ancient Near Eastern yes. background stuff, and all but all the way through, I thought these ideas and these concepts are so important for the mm-hmm. church at large. And so I had in mind, eventually, when, once the dissertation is published, I want to rewrite this whole project, and I want to rewrite it for the church. Nice, nice. nice. So this is kind of a popular version of... Yeah. And you, are you expanding quite a bit, though, on what I you am. did there? Yeah, yeah, the dissertation was a deep dive into one verse, Exodus yeah. 20, verse 7. Yep. This takes the theme that emerges from that mm-hmm. verse, and I trace it through the whole canon. Nice. So the scope is different, Yeah. Uh, but the, the research behind it is the research I did for my dissertation. Yeah. Well, it's really well written. I read at least 80% of it, more than probably even a little more than that, and it just reads really well, and you give a nice overview of really the whole Torah. So uh, it's really helpful. So yeah. maybe, again, we, we talked briefly about this, but um, why do you think it's so popular maybe to cast dispersions upon the Old yeah. Testament? That seems to be something that's happening now. More recently, yeah. even than when I was kind of going through seminary and yeah. PhD, it seems like in this kind of new culture, you have just a yeah. lot more questions about the Old Testament than... Yeah. I, I, we've always had questions about the Old Testament, but there seems to be kind of a new push towards, we're not sure what to do with some of this. Yeah, so I, I what's, what's your take on that? I think our some of our social sensibilities, our social consciousness is at the point where Old Testament concepts are especially 
obtuse. They, mm-hmm. they seem like they're pushing in the wrong direction. So things like treatment of women, violence against other nations, mm-hmm. um, even, even just stuff like, yeah, slavery, yeah. food laws. And you know, there's, there's so many things that just feel out of place yeah. and it's hard to know how to redeem them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We've been finding in apologetics now that the big apologetics issues mm. are not about the existence of God. Mm. It's whether God is good. Right. Yeah. And it's the Old Testament texts yep. that yeah. are the battleground. Yeah. Yes. And so, so Andy Stanley very famously mm-hmm. preached on this last Easter um, and, and said, so, so it would be almost two years ago now, um, and, and said Christians should unhitch from the Old Testament. And he, he did that as I've, you know, watched his sermon series on that and mm-hmm. tried to see, okay, what is he trying to do with this? I heard a, an hour-long interview that Michael Brown did with him that was really helpful in kind of contextualizing what he said. Gotcha. Because me and all my other Old Testament people kind of yeah, freaked yeah. out. Like, yeah, yeah. How, right. can, how can a Christian <laughs> pastor say this? Right, right. But yeah. I think actually he was motivated by very pastoral concerns. Mm-hmm. He's watching people walk away from the faith because right. of what they see in the Old yeah. Testament. So he says, hey, guys, let's just let's just put this on the shelf. Let's focus on Jesus. Mm. And so I think there's something admirable about that, about his motivation for that. He, it's a it's a missional motivation. Mm-hmm. My approach is different. Right. I think I see the same issue, but I say, let's take people back to the Old Testament and help them read it well. Gotcha. Let's, let's educate people rather than set it on the shelf. Let's walk them through it because there is so much grace mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things Andy said in his sermon is, if you're looking for grace, you're mm-hmm. going to have a really hard time finding it in the Old Testament. And mm-hmm. I see it everywhere. Right. So right. one of my goals in this book is to help people see the grace where I'm seeing it. Yeah. And and if we can read it with lenses of, uh, of an ancient context and see how God is really lovingly blessing his people, mm-hmm. then we can start to tackle the problem passages within that framework. That makes sense, yeah. And it's not really, in some sense, we're saying it's a new problem, but in other sense, if you look through church history, mm-hmm. Marcion, there's, there's yep. always been, yep. it's always been kind time. of an issue in terms of, one of the biggest yeah. issues I always tell my class is the relationship between the New and the Old Testament. Yeah. That's just always been yep. a huge question in biblical studies, which mm-hmm. filters down to the church. Uh, I, I don't even remember the stats, but I was even reading this morning, you know, they did the study on preaching, how long sermons are in different traditions, oh, yeah. and how much you preach from the Old Testament. Very clearly, oh, yeah. your pre- people are preaching from the New Testament a lot more than the Old Testament more. And, and things like that. And, so. and our preaching from the Old Testament is very selective to right. just certain passages yeah. get pushed to the forefront, and the others are totally neglected. As a New Testament scholar, though, that's the Old Testament's fault. They made their book so long, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, if, if they would have just shortened it a little bit, like, who's going to really preach through all of Isaiah? <laughs> it's just way too long. No, Romans long. is long as well, and Acts is long. I'm working on Acts, but still. Mm. I'm, I'm starting work on a commentary on Exodus. Oh, yeah. And I feel like, dude, why, why didn't I land in the New Testament? I could have done Philippians. It's right. like only That's four, right. chapters, four chapters, but I, I've got 40. Yeah, <laughs> so. totally. I like teaching on Philemon because <laughs> yep. it's like 25 verses, Boom. you know, fun. Yeah. There it is. And yeah. then we're done. Most people who read Exodus get excited about like the first 12, 15, mm-hmm. maybe 20 chapters. And then yep. after that, it's like tough sledding. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to I'm trying to recover the beauty of those chapters, the second half of the book. Second half? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's, that's where I hunker down. Yeah. So you, your, your subtitle here is Why Sinai Still Matters mm-hmm. uh, for your book. Um, I don't think we typically read the Ten Commandments and think, wow, this is really for me. Mm-hmm. I think more popularly we might say, well, that was 
if you're a little more informed in terms of your own scriptural reading, well, that was a part of different covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's that's for a time past. Mm-hmm. Jesus has given us new commands now that mm-hmm. we need to follow those. Mm-hmm. Why? So why does Sinai still matter? Is it yeah. isn't it part of the old covenant? Is it for us? How do we answer that question? <laughs> well, the question of covenants is is a complicated one. Yeah. I would argue that the new covenant is actually better understood as the renewed covenant mm-hmm. and that it's the same covenant that was made at Sinai. Yeah. So I make the case for that in the book mm-hmm. um, in a brief way. Yeah. Um, I've kind of encountered two different approaches to the Ten Commandments. On the one hand are the people who say, oh, Jesus just told us to love God and love our neighbor, therefore we don't need all those. And then there's the other extreme, which is the Ten Commandments are the ones we keep and everything Mm. else we can leave aside. And so, yeah, going back to Sinai is important because we need to see why are these commands being given Mm -hmm. in what kind of context. And if there are covenant stipulations for a covenant that God is making with his people Israel, and if the purpose is not to earn their salvation, but rather to demonstrate God's character to a watching world, Mm And if in Christ we are then invited into that covenant, then we have the same vocation, yeah. the same responsibility yeah. to represent God's character to a watching world. Right. So the the commands themselves might not be applied in the same ways in mm-hmm. our cultural context, but they inform our ethics mm. because they teach us, they tutor us in what are the different areas of life that might need to be harnessed Mm -hmm. um hint all of them right (laughs) all the areas of life need to be harnessed in this project of representing god to the nations of bearing his name yeah yeah that's good so you're thinking of texts uh when you say renewed covenant like i will write the law the torah Mm -hmm. upon their hearts right so it's the same law yeah that's now written on our hearts it's not that yes it's new in the sense that there's new laws right that's the same law now internalized? Is that how yes. you'd put it or you'd, would yeah, you put it differently? We're now animated by the spirit and right. able to, to live it out. If you read Jeremiah 31 really carefully, mm-hmm. the, the new covenant where we get text, the language of new. Yes. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, there are two things stand out. One is that if you read it carefully, the law itself is never condemned as having mm-hmm. failed. Right. The failure or the problem with the old covenant is the people, yeah. not right. with the covenant. And so often in Christian circles... We talk about the old covenant as though it was doomed from the beginning, never meant to work. God just came up with it to show us that we couldn't keep it. And then he scrapped that and went with plan B. Mm-hmm. It, it, we have a very negative view of what happened at Sinai. Right. And we also have that, that view of Sinai, I think, because we forget where Sinai happens. It's not... The, the redemption from Egypt happens first, mm-hmm. and then they come to Sinai. It's not as though, and this is something I talk about in the book, not as though Moses shows up at the border of Egypt and says, hey, guys, I'll I'll be happy to get you out of here. You just have to sign on the dotted yeah. line saying you'll do all these things. You have things. to agree to right. these things. Right. right. It's not a, the law is not a prerequisite for salvation. It's the way of expressing to the world mm. God's character um, and, and the way of demonstrating we belong to Yahweh. Yeah. So it's not legal, like you're, that's fighting against kind of a legalistic view of yeah. Judaism even yes. in that sense I that don't, this was given yeah, I as don't a gracious think, covenant. I don't think that the Jews are th- thinking of the law as mm-hmm. a way of earning God's salvation, earning okay. salvation or earning eternal destiny or, or something. Right, right. Um, I think they're seeing it as the faithful response of a people mm-hmm. who have been redeemed. Yeah. So if the law is not the means of salvation, yeah. 
then we don't have a different thing going on with Jesus right. that requires us to get rid of the law. Yeah, yeah. But it does uh, constitute Israel as a geopolitical entity. It does. It, does it not? Yeah. It does. And, and then that would be different than the new covenant, at sure. least as it's expanded out mm. sure. beyond and, these geopolitical entities. And, uh, and that's the, the sort of crux of that transition is in Acts 15 when when the early church is trying to figure out what to do mm-hmm. with Gentiles. Because mm-hmm. now we have Gentiles who are interested in following Jesus. Do they need to be circumcised? Mm-hmm. Do they need to eat kosher? You know, what what is this going to look like? And Peter's transformation is is seeing, oh, Gentiles are receiving the gift of the Spirit without having first converted to yeah. Judaism. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if the Spirit's being given, the Spirit is a sign of covenant membership so they apparently are already covenant members. So uh, right. I guess they don't have to follow those set of laws that have to do with setting Israel apart right. ethnically. Right. Those laws go through sort of transformation right. uh, in Christ as the Gentiles are included. Um, but they still have a responsibility to live well mm-hmm. in their in their unique cultural context. Yeah. yeah, and in Acts, it's interesting. Again, I'm studying this. It's it is they're actually still performing the Torah. Yeah but they're doing it by the power of the spirit. The whole yep. community is. They're yep. being generous yep. to one another. They're they're meditating on the word. They're showing God's presence by healing and so forth yeah, yeah. and so on. And so in, in one way, there's a shift. In another way, there's con- I guess we're there's coming continuity. back to that continuity, yep. discontinuity. Yep. Yeah. And I left, a, I left a thread on Jeremiah 31. I said there's two mm-hmm. things. Um, the one thing is to notice that, that the law is not the problem. The people are the problem. But right. the other thing to notice is that the word new, as it's used in the rest of the prophetic corpus, um, often or usually means renewed. Oh. So it's the same mm. word that's mm. used in Lamentations 3 where it says, "My mercy, his mercies are new every morning. Mm. Great is thy faithfulness. That f- sort of famous passage, it, are God's mercies new every morning in the sense of a brand new thing unlike we've ever seen before? Mm. No, it's a renewal. It's like the yeah. tank is filled up again so God can continue to express the same faithfulness, mm. the same mercy mm. every morning. And and that's how I read the new covenant. Renewed. It's a renewal of the same covenant. So are you coming out with your own Bible called the Renew Testament? <laughs> <laughs> that's a fantastic idea. <laughs> you just call it, instead of the, the Old Testament, it would just be the Testament. The Testament, the testament. and the, the, the Renewed. Testament. And then the Renewed Renew testament. testament. I did, in fact, rip a page out of my Bible. Uh. Um, oh no you and thomas jefferson that's right i I ripped out the little page that goes between the old Uh, and the new testament as a symbol of i I, I wanted to sort of and i could i'll go ahead and rip out the old testament one now too because because maybe maybe our hearers can listen to that it's still relevant right live i just ripped a page out of my bible (laughs) Uh, it's just the title page um because i because i want i wanted to demonstrate to those who are in the room that the whole bible belongs to the church the whole bible is remains the word of god for us and sometimes we have this sort of barrier set up between mm-hmm, the old and new mm-hmm. like that was for the jews and this one's for us yeah it's all telling one story yeah so you go ahead yeah, Todd. I have a question. Uh, there's gonna be a lot of people who listen to this who have been heavily influenced by like a john salehammer mm-hmm. who would argue that so many of the laws as they came down mm-hmm. were the response to the faithlessness of yeah. the jewish people who, who who were not content to or, or well, I'll just say it this way: We're not faithful enough mm-hmm. to uh, to to approach God on you know, love God, love others, yeah. or, or or maybe the perfect ten, and yeah. no, we have to have someone go up for us and bring us down laws because we don't know how to yeah. obey these. Yeah, mm. uh, 
response to that? Is yeah, I've benefited a lot from things that Salehammer has has done mm. and said. I think probably he and I differ on the law. That's totally fine. Um, he, he has a more negative view of it than I do. Um, I follow Dan Block on the law. And okay. Those who know Daniel Block, he was my doctoral mentor. They'll see him on every page of this book because mm. because I'm my thinking is thoroughly infused with the way he reads the Bible. Um, I would say yes. Laws were given in response to actual situations, um, in some cases where, where people don't know what to do. So you have the example in Leviticus 24 of the half-Israelite, half-Egyptian guy yeah. who blasphemes the name while he's in a fight with another uh, another guy. And, and the elders come to Moses and say, we don't know what to do. Inquire of God for us. So Moses goes to God. And it's not as though there was a there was fuzziness about blaspheming God's name, whether that was okay or not. That was obvious. Mm-hmm. What was what was unclear in this case for them, I think, is the fact that he's ethnically only half Israelite, and they're thinking of the laws as something that pertains to the Israelite community, and so how does he, what's his status in relation to the law? So they're needing to work that mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And so that's an example of a case law where yes. you have a specific situation that arises and they need guidance. So his punishment was no more draconian because he was no. uh, a, a, a foreigner. Right. It, it, he, he actually got exactly what an Israelite would yep, get. Yeah, he's being yeah. treated as a full-fledged member of the community. Mm. Well, yeah. I, I, I think that's helpful, even just that little mm-hmm. explanation. Mm. Yeah. So I don't think I don't think the laws kept being piled on. Be, oh, you messed up again. Let me give you some more laws. Oh, you messed up again. Let me give you some more. Mm. I think it's a way the laws... As, they, as we see them, are a way of sort of illustrating what covenant faithfulness might look like in a mm. whole host of areas. So mm-hmm. a, a lot of case law. A lot of case law. Um, not, you know, we, we could have a separate conversation over, in, and I don't know if I'd have a strong opinion, over whether these, like, collected over a long period of time or whether they were all given at once. Clearly they're set at Sinai in Exodus, um, even even all the book of Leviticus is set at Sinai a, a, in the narrative flow of mm-hmm, the Pentateuch. Mm-hmm. So and you kind of argue Sinai is kind of the mountain peak. Mm-hmm. I guess that's ironic. Of, yeah, the of the Torah. Of the Torah. Yeah. yeah, right. So it runs from Exodus 19 all the way to Numbers 10. Yeah, they're yeah. at Sinai. Right. And and I do see that as central to mm-hmm. the teaching. Yeah. The, the overall teaching of the Pentateuch or Torah. Yeah. This is this is the heights of, of mm. what's happening. And actually the the chapters we find most boring are some of the most significant. Mm-hmm. You know, tabernacle building instructions. Right, right. This is where God says, I'm gonna move into yeah. your neighborhood. Right. Right. And and I want to live among you. Right. So here's what you need to do follow these instructions to sort of protect you yeah. from the holiness of my presence. That could be dangerous. Right for you if if you got too close yeah um so i want to live among you but i want to also protect you gotcha you i'm sure you've seen it michael morales or morales book who yes. shall ascend the mountain of the lord oh, it's nice. very similar to your argument but he's just looking at leviticus and mm-hmm. saying the day of atonement mm-hmm. of how do you actually approach this god now yeah ends up being the mountain peak which i th- immediately thought yeah. of his book when you said that it's okay. actually a line it's just he's just looking at leviticus in yep. the torah I read another book by him on Exodus. He has a new one coming out called Exodus Old and New. It's fantabulous. Oh, good. You should read it. Good. Is that how you say his last name? Do you know how to say it? I think so. Okay. (laughs) So you deal with a few, I have a few questions about kind of this importance of Sinai. And these are texts that you deal with or concepts that you deal Mm -hmm. with more in the second half of the book. Um, But you do note, if we're reading through the scriptures, it seems like Sinai kind of fades and Mount Zion comes into view. Yes. What do you do with that? Yeah. 
So, so I guess my subtitle could be misleading in that I'm saying why Sinai still matters as though we should keep going back there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not Sinai. The mountain isn't extra special, but what happens there is really important gotcha. yeah. in, for defining Israel's identity and vocation in the world. Okay. And, and I would say as followers of Jesus, we're being incorporated into that same identity and vocation that Israel had as a nation. Okay. Um, So Mount Zion becomes the new sort of locus of God's presence because the temple is there. We don't need to keep going back to Sinai, but we do need to keep rereading the Torah to find out what it looks like to live faithfully around Zion. Right. So it goes back to the idea of kind of Zion fulfills or completes what happened at Sinai. I don't know if sure, you use that sure. same type I mean, of language. The, the yeah. main thing is God's presence, right? right? right. God's presence is at you Sinai, see at Sinai, but Sinai. it's yeah. remarkable because that's where they build a tabernacle and yeah. the presence becomes portable. Right. So they're not making pilgrimages back to Sinai and we don't need to do that either. Although mm-hmm. I'd love to go someday. Yeah. Because I've spent a lot of time thinking about Sinai. Right, right. I've never been there. I was hoping um, you'd tell us exactly where Mount Sinai is. <laughs> is it in Israel? or is And it Noah's Ark at the same time. Oh, sure, sure right. <laughs> I don't know about Sinai. You know, There's I, a lot of good ar- inter- articles on the internet about Noah's Ark, I'm sure. <laughs> and, and as far as Sinai goes, you can't visit the one in Saudi Arabia that's the, you, you know, the other contender. So I guess mm-hmm. I'd be stuck with going to St. Catherine's Monastery. There you go. Um, and I'm sure that'd be great. <laughs> maybe two, no, this is not fair at all to you, So I'm gonna, but we're going to do it because we need to take a break, but I have two texts, maybe a speed round okay. of just quickly how you would respond to it. You deal yeah. with these in your book, but mm-hmm. so Hebrews 8.13, by saying a new covenant, he has declared the first one obsolete and what is obsolete is growing old and about to pass away. Man, it sure sounds like an initial reading of Hebrews 8.13 mm-hmm. that the old covenant is passing away and that it's obsolete. Like yeah. that's strange language. Do you, how do you deal with something like that? So am I going to have to referee between the New Testament scholar and the New Testament scholar? <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what is happening. No, I do think that Hebrews has maybe some of the biggest challenges. I'm yeah. flipping through my book now to see what brilliant thing I said about it. Because <laughs> right. I, did work, I did work my way through it. Um, I think when you read it in context, you get kind of the similar impression as with Jeremiah 31, is that mm-hmm. specifically the thing that's passing away um, there are things that pass away like the tabernacle. We don't need it anymore because we have a great high priest who's in the right. heavenly tabernacle. So there are parts of it that do become obsolete, right. but not the not the entire concept of being becoming God's people. And in Hebrews, I think you might have pointed this out or somebody did, or maybe this is my own thought, who knows. Uh, but the sacrificial system is really what he continually comes back to mm-hmm. in Hebrews, the yeah. sacrificial system. That is the uh, focus, I mean, it's yeah. focused on kind of priesthood things. So yep. there's pieces of it that are becoming yep. obsolete. Yep. Yeah. The other text that um, I think you dealed with, you dealt with, dealed with, wow, here I go, um, is Galatians 3.25. Mm-hmm. Um, now that faith has come, we are no longer under this guardian or this nanny, that translation. So we're no longer under this same covenant. Um, just any thoughts about how you think through that in terms of Sinai still matters, but yeah, obviously the new covenant has come. Yeah. So in other words, we're empowered by the spirit to yeah. keep the covenant and Jesus has come as the perfect covenant keeper. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus doesn't come and sweep, sweep the law off the table. He comes and fulfills it. He lives it out perfectly. Yeah. And so it's by his faith and his faithfulness mm-hmm. that we're incorporated in, not by our own faithfulness. Right. Um, not not as though, again, that people were earning their salvation before, but their covenant status as recipients of bl- the blessings of the covenant yeah. was contingent on how faithfully they continue right. to live as his people. Right. 
So you use the Mount St. Helens imagery here. Do you remember that? Yeah. I thought that was really good. Oh, cool. Yeah. I was right. I was writing the book literally as we were at Mount St. Helens. Oh, really? Part of it. Yeah. 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 The summer vacation. Yeah. And and so it was in my head and I'm, yeah, I was thinking about Harry Truman who lived at the foot of- Not the president. Not the president, (laughs) but the the sort of eccentric Washingtonian who lived at the foot of Mount St. Helens and refused to leave even when it- Spirit Lake. Yeah. yeah, Even when he knew that the the mountain was likely to- to erupt and everyone else had been evacuated, he refused to leave. Yeah. He's like, if this mountain's going, I'm going to die with it. So yeah, I do think that's a good metaphor for the the tendency among some Christians to try to recreate Sinai law mm-hmm. in our culture, like like live all of them out. Let's eat kosher. Let's right. let's farm. Use these farming practices. Um, Bring just them back kind of into a our wholesale. schools. Yeah, yeah. Because when some people read Sinai still matters, is that you're arguing something very different than I that. I am. I'm, yeah. I'm, this is not a Hebrew roots movement kind of a push right. at right. all. Right. Um, I think that is almost as dangerous and extreme as the let's unhitch from the Old Testament. Right. So you're trying to put it back in the place where it belongs, yes. which Jesus and right. the yeah. apostles are yeah, all like ref- building off of this. Right. Like refracted, yeah. Sinai ref- as refracted through Jesus That's and his good. teachings and, yeah. the, and the cross and the resurrection. Yeah. Well, good. This has been really helpful. We're going to take a break and then come back to looking at Exodus 27, what it may- means to take the Lord's name in vain. All right. Hi, my name's Amanda, and I'm in the Master's of Biblical and Theological Studies at Western Seminary. I love how the course readings and assignments challenge and transform my personal faith in Jesus. Unpacking scripture on an academic level has given me a deeper desire to understand what God was saying then and how his word is still life-giving today. I've also greatly valued the relationships with the faculty I've developed, taken time to build trust with me and speak into my life on a personal level. Western Seminary offers graduate, postgraduate, and certificate programs to train students with a biblical core of conviction that seeks gospel-centered transformation in your life and the lives of those you serve. If you are interested in learning more about Western or starting your application, visit us online at westernseminary.edu. Now back to the show. Well, we are back with Carmen Imes, uh, author of bearing God's name, and we've been talking a lot about uh, the Old Testament and the role of the Old Testament in the life of, of the Christian today, uh, but what people really listen to this podcast, Food Trucks in Babylon, for is food truck recommendations, oh. and so... <laughs> Since um, we spend so much time on it. Yes, yes, that's right, <laughs> and so we want to know, what is your favorite food truck? Oh, I'm sorry lately. to say that I don't live in Portland, and in the little, small prairie town where I live in Alberta... We don't have any food trucks. No, no food, food trucks. trucks. No food trucks. How, how do you nourish so Not yourself? the new heavens and new earth. Yeah. <laughs> I bring leftovers from home and I reheat them. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I did stop at Taco Bell on the way here. Oh, that probably okay. does not count as a food oh, truck. Oh, man. And That's it's right. not nearly cool enough. No, but no, 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 I have... Hipster. I hope this isn't the application of Sinai food laws to, no, no, to no, your own no, life. No, totally right. unrelated. No. <laughs> but you'll be happy to know I have a new life hack for Taco Bell. If you order something and you want it grilled, they'll grill it at no extra charge. So I had a chick- shredded chicken burrito on the way here and they grilled it for me. All the cheese was all melty. It's mm. really good. Okay, there's good. the life hack there from Taco Bell. So it's not a food truck, but in the case they're all closed, you can try Taco Bell and That's ask right. them to grill it. 
you will be maybe the first and last mentioned Taco Bell <laughs> on our food truck question. But there it is. There so it is. sorry to disappoint you. That's probably where most of the people listening to this would actually eat them. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're very, um, oh. you know, foodie Portlanders now. So we're very snobbish about our yeah, food. I, yeah. I, I'm just a poser. I would love to be <laughs> snobbish. We just don't have a whole You don't have the opportunity to be snobbish. Nope. Yeah. Okay, so the title of your book is Burying God's Name, which you're taking Exodus 27. I thought this was a very interesting part of the book. I know this is based on your dissertation. You've done a ton of work in this. Mm -hmm. And so um, typically that command is translated, do not take the name of your Lord God in vain, Mm -hmm. which again typically is understood as um, don't use cuss words, don't use Lord and God in vain. Typical conversations. Yeah, Yeah, exactly like that. Which I feel like doesn't really work very well in an ancient context. Like, I don't think ancient Near Easterners were dumb enough to go around using divine names as slang. Right, right. better. So so can you give us your little pitch of how you're understanding? I'd love to hear if you've even done, I don't know if you've done like the history of why it became understood this way or related to the KJV probably or or like exactly. It actually goes all the way back to the Vulgate. I think the the Mm -hmm. idiom that we have in English of Mm -hmm. taking a name in vain goes back before the King James, um, sorry, not the Vulgate. It goes back to the English translation before the King James. Is it Tyndale? Tyndale, yeah. And Mm -hmm. so Tyndale already uses it. And I think there's something about the Vulgate related to it. I forget now. Yeah. It was, it's been a few years, but, um, I, I do have a chapter in my dissertation where I trace the history of interpretation of this command. Okay. And I found 23 distinctly different interpretations of it wow. through history. So while the vast majority of lay people think of it as don't cuss or, you know, use God's name like as a, as a swear word, yeah. um, most scholars tend to think of it as um, don't take oaths in God's name, like mm. using God's name to validate yeah. an oath and then breaking sure. the oath. Uh, interesting. Um, but there are, I swear to God. Right. I so swear you're to saying God that I will, will do something or that I won't do through something. Through the history of interpretation of the church, it's very diverse. It's more it in, diverse. in the modern day popular kind of scene that it's become one thing. I do think that that the, the vast majority of people reading it fall into one of those two camps. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can find, I, tr- I tried to see if I could like break up the history of interpretation in eras. Yeah. And I couldn't you because couldn't. there yeah. are people all through history right. who hold my view. And there are people all through history who hold the oath taking view. And mm-hmm. so like you see these threads and they run through different eras. Interesting. And it's everybody's trying to make sense of the Hebrew of this sentence, which is not entirely transparent. It's, you shall not lift up or carry mm-hmm. the name of Yahweh your God in vain. And so people say, well, that's weird. We don't carry names. So this must be an idiom for something else. It must be a mm. figure of speech. And so then they go looking for parallel passages that would help them figure out what that figure of speech means. Mm. So a lot of people land on oath-taking by saying, well, when you take an oath, you lift up your hand and swear. And so this must be shorthand for that. Mm. I don't mm. think that works. It doesn't work yeah. grammatically, yeah. and it, it actually doesn't work because God tells them to take oaths in his name later. Mm-hmm. There's also uh, the command in this list of 10, in the Ten Commandments, there's also a command against bearing false witness, right. which if this is a command against oath-taking, 
then it becomes almost the same as bearing false witness. There's a lot of overlap in such a seminal list of commands. You wouldn't expect that much overlap between two of them. Okay. So I think for a lot of reasons, the traditional ways of reading it don't quite do it justice. Okay. So then how do you think, I mean, you're, you're kind of taking this word bear, lift, carry. Mm -hmm. What did that mean when they heard it? Yeah. What do you think? What what is kind of your take on what, what, what did they hear when they heard this command? Yeah. So I think um, this is why Sinai, putting it back in its Sinai context is helpful because not too far after the giving of the Decalogue, we have the, the giving of the tabernacle instructions, including the instructions on how to make the high priestly garments. Mm. And it says explicitly that the high priest is going to have on his breast piece, uh, this pouch thing that he wears on his chest, will have 12 precious stones, Mm. and each stone will be engraved like the engraving of a signet ring Mm. with the name of one of the tribes. And then it says, and so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel. And so it's yeah. using the same, Is it the same verb, verb, same Is it verb, Nassau? same object. Is that yeah, Nassau. Yeah. Yeah. So he's lifting up or carrying the name. So I think we don't have to go far and wide looking for parallel passages. We uh, have one right here at Sinai. There's an inner text the, right there. Yeah. The yeah. high priest is actually the visual model of what the whole nation mm. is supposed to be. He mm. he carries the names of the tribes as their representative before Yahweh. He also has on his forehead a medallion saying wholly belonging to Yahweh. Mm-hmm. So he's has Yahweh's name on his forehead. Right. And so he's bearing Yahweh's name and he's bearing the tribal names because he's the mediator between those two parties. Gotcha. And so in that context, God tells the people of Israel, you shall not bear the name of Yahweh, your God in vain, which implies that in some sense, they're bearing his name on their foreheads, just mm-hmm. like the high priest is. Gotcha. And, I don't think it's we this have royal priesthood language. Yes, this, you're all priests. Right. We've already had before we get to the Ten Commandments in chapter 19, right. verses five and six. They're already called a kingdom of priests. So when we get to the priesthood, we should be thinking of this not as something radically different, but as mm. some, again a visual yeah. model of what they're all supposed they're to. They're all supposed to do. And then you have that same language, the holy belonging to Yahweh, that it says on the high priest's mm. forehead. That same phrase is applied to the whole nation in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, Moses is reiterating what happened at Sinai and mm. says, you are a people wholly belonging to Yahweh. Mm. So what the high priest is individually, you are as a nation. Ah, gotcha. And s- so that makes it clear. But then yeah. I think the the linchpin for me, the, the clearest um, piece of the argument is in Numbers 6, 27. So this is where the where Aaron is told what, what blessing he's going to pronounce over the people. Mm-hmm. And the blessing is an integral part of the whole um, high priestly ordination ceremony. So as soon as the priests are ordained for service in the tabernacle, they've done their first sacrifices. The very first thing they do once the sacrifices are completed are pronounce a blessing over mm-hmm. the people. Yeah. And number six, 22 through 27 tells us what that blessing is. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon right. you. So we've we've all heard that. Yes. But we don't usually... Say it to my girls every night. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I used to say it to my kids too when yeah. they were little or sing it over them. And now you've written this book and you don't. Is that what you're telling me? No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm saying they've started <laughs> outgrown being put together. I know, I know. <laughs> One of them got married last weekend, so I'm not going to be singing yeah. to her at Right, right, anymore. right. Yeah. Um, but no, verse 27, we usually leave off and that's where mm-hmm. it says, and so you shall put my name on them mm. and I will bless them. So uh, very explicitly, as the high priest is pronouncing the blessing, he's putting Yahweh's name on the people, saying, you are Yahweh's, mm. you belong to him. And so then the command makes all sorts of sense. 
mm-hmm. if you have his name invisibly tattooed on your forehead, yeah, you you he he's claimed you as belonging to him, then you need to bear that name well. Don't go out and live like all of your pagan neighbors. You sh- your lifestyle should be different. People should be able to look at you and tell who Yahweh is and what he's like. Gotcha. So it's like maybe even carrying, bearing that name. Mm-hmm. You're you're carrying as image bearers who he is. And is the audience the nations? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Uh, yeah the everyone's nations lo- are, watching yep. who he is through you? Yep. The nations are watching watching Israel to find out what hmm. Yahweh is like. Yeah. Um, and and it says, I think it's Deuteronomy 26. Let me find the verse. It's 28. 28. What verse? Uh, 28, verse 9. The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you on oath, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, or that um, I would retranslate that, that um, the name of Yahweh has been mm. proclaimed over you. Mm. It's, it's a reflexive sense. It's been proclaimed over them, mm-hmm. and they will fear you. Mm. So they're all watching, and they're, they're noticing, oh, these are Yahweh's people. Yeah. And actually, we see that in the book of Ezekiel, when yeah. the people go into exile— the main problem with the exile is not how uncomfortable it is for the people. Mm-hmm. The main problem is that Yahweh's reputation's on the line. Mm. Everybody's seeing what happened to Israel, and they're saying, oh, these are Yahweh's people, and yet they had to go out of his land. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, he must not be a very powerful God, because, look, he can't protect his own people. So their disobedience that results in exile is a PR problem for God. Okay. And so yeah, it says right. in Ezekiel 36 that he's going to restore them, wash them clean, restore them to the land, not because they deserve it, but because his name is on the line. And why would his name be on the line? But they bear his name. Mm-hmm. So everybody's watching them and making conclusions about him and his his power mm-hmm. that are that yeah. are not true. Yeah. Man, so many this is great. I have a lot of questions in terms of like just parsing it out. When it says in vain, I just note mm-hmm. that you can also translate that as like emptiness or mm-hmm. falseness. Yep. yep. Do you do you like the vain language still, or do you? How do you explain this, like in class or? Yeah, I think. Um, is this like false idols, imi- like imagery too? Do you know if it's used in Isaiah? Um, you know how false gods are empty. Yes. There's nothing they, there. So it's the word in the word in Hebrew is shav. Yeah. La shav. Uh huh. And in in Isaiah. And Jeremiah, I think that same word is used to refer to idols, but not by itself. Like by mm. itself, it doesn't mean idols, but you can say havle shav, and that'd be like like em- empty vanity or whatever as a okay. way of describing idols. Yep, yep. So I would say falsely falsely works really well. Okay. You know, to bear his name falsely would be to, to wear that tattoo yeah. that shows you belong to Yahweh, but mm-hmm. your life doesn't match up with that testimony. Yeah. So you're not... And that brings us back to the Sinai commands. Why are these here? Yeah. Because they need to know what does it look like to live as Yahweh's people. Right. They need that fleshed out. Yep. Interesting. I'm just looking at the LXX. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Matthias, mm-hmm. which is the same language that's used in Acts 17 of these empty gods. Yes. yes. So that's, that's really interesting. interesting. Yeah. It is interesting. So, and then with the, I'll let Todd ask a question because I'm just jumping in here. Now my biblical scholar uh, nerdiness is coming out, but... So are you framing this in terms of this is priesthood language first 
or is it a language that the priests then are given? Does that make sense? Is which mm-hmm. order is it? Mm-hmm. Is it suddenly you have the whole nation who are priests? There's that concept there, mm-hmm. this nasa, or the whole nation is that, and then the priests uniquely do this. Does that make sense? Like yeah. the ordering? Do you have any thoughts about that? Um, I don't know why that matters. I just thought that was an interesting. <laughs> you know, it's a good it's a good question, and I'm going to need to wrestle with that more okay. deeply as yeah. I write my Exodus commentary because. There are, of course, lots of scholars out there who say that the book of Exodus was constructed way after the fact and right. things were rearranged. And, yeah. stuff. and I've tended to, to read it just sort of literarily as a whole. Yeah. And if you read it literarily, in chapter 19, they're called a kingdom of priests. Mm-hmm. In chapter 20, they're told not to bear his name in vain. And then it's not until, I think, chapter 28 that you get the instructions for the priests to bear the names. Right. And so if you just read are reading in order... Yeah, people, this comes first. The people come first. But if they're writing later, you're saying they could be using the priesthood language. There could. There, yeah, I, that's I, hard. I'm flexible on the order in which things actually right. laid out. Yeah. But I do think that God has a design for the entire nation mm-hmm. that requires a priesthood to keep maintaining it. Yeah, um, right. And and so, again, they become like a visual model. And I think uh, part of the reason I asked that is because I think this works either way, but... Um, with the the Torah and the commands, the ten words, it is true. At least I've heard Old Testament scholars talk about. Typically, the laws were given just to a select group of people in that mm. time, mm. and giving it to a whole nation. Mm. I was just kind of thinking yeah. about like you're all kings, you're all priests. Yep. Yep. This is for all of you. Yep. There's a democratization yes. or a kind of egalitarian yes. nature of the whole command. Like yes. this is for the whole nation. Yeah. And yeah. that really sets Israel's laws apart from laws that you yeah. see in other cultures mm-hmm. because they're, those are directed to the leaders in society, and right. this is directed to every Israelite. Everyone. Yeah, There is definitely a, an egalitarian impulse and a, a sense that every every person's obedience matters. Yeah, right, um, so which would have been unique back then, right? It would have been yeah. unique, and you, you get to, I think it's Joshua chapter 7, the story of Achan. Mm-hmm. You know, Achan takes plunder from the the battle of Jericho that he's not supposed to and he puts it on you know buries it under his tent and the entire nation suffers right. for his disobedience yeah. so this More is communal. why this is why I actually don't think we can divide the commands the 10 commandments into the ones that are vertical mm. towards God mm. and the ones that are horizontal mm-hmm. because all 10 commands relate uh, have to do with our relationship with God and all 10 have to do with our relationship with our neighbor because if you and I are members of the same community mm-hmm. And I worship a false god, that is actually going to put you at risk, as well as me. Gotcha. It's not just a vertical thing; it's a horizontal thing. And yeah. if I'm and if I murder somebody who's who's one of God's um, covenant partners, that's not just a right. horizontal issue; that's an affront to God, who yeah. has chosen this person as a covenant partner. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think they all, both dimensions are present in all yeah. ten command, commands. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, this kind of raises a question then for me. Um, about the strategy of the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Then. If, if, if that is what the Third Commandment is, why is it even there? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Be, be, because it seems like you say, okay, so, so how do I not um, blow it in bearing the name of God? Well, I probably obey Commandments 1, 2, 4, 5, 6, 7, yeah, 8, yeah, 9, sure. 10. And so what's, what's actually going on in Commandment yeah. 3? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start by saying I don't call it the Third Command. <laughs> okay. Um, because I, I re... I recount them. There's actually not full agreement across church history on how to count the 10. Okay. And you'd think that'd be like the easiest thing to do. You just start counting and stop when you get to 10. Right. But there's two 
predominant traditions um, on how to count them. And one of them, uh, so I, I adapt one of the traditions, and that is to take all of verses 2 through 6 as one command. So um, verse 2, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of Egypt. That's the preamble. It's usually not counted as part of the mm-hmm. commands, but I right. count that as part of it. And then command number one is usually uh, you must know, have no other gods. Yep. Right. Yep. And then people say the second one is not to make a graven make image an yep. or an yeah, idol. That's, that's the idol rule. But I two. would say for there's a practical reason and a grammatical reason why I combine those. The practical reason is that in the ancient world, there's no way to worship another god without having an idol of that okay. god. That's The idols are, are mm-hmm. essential to proper worship, pro- proper ritual um, sacrifice and all that. You need the idol in the room. And the other thing is you would not have an image of a god without worshiping it. Like the two are one and the same. And so then the grammatical reason is that these verses, verses 2 through 6, actually form a chiasm or like a literary sandwich. Okay. Um, where you have, I am Yahweh, your God, in verse 2 and in verse 5. Hmm. And then in verses 3 and 5, the beginning of verse 5, is you you may, you must have no other gods, which is plural. Mm-hmm. And then verse 5, you must not bow down to them or worship them, which is plural. But then the center of that, verse 4, you must not make an image, which is singular. Mm-hmm. So if the worship them, bow down to them or worship them, was pointing back to the image, then it should also be singular. Mm it must be pointing back to verse 3, not having other gods. Right. So and that, you're not just making this up in no. terms of historically, this is, uh, what is it, Lutheran and Catholic is at least more similar to this in terms of the numbering? Um, yes. I think it's Lutheran and Catholic, right. but the more Reformed reading is to have, yeah. do not make idols as, as the second command. Yep. And so, and I actually think there's, the Jewish tradition actually has mm. the idols as part of the first command too. Yes. So there's not just like, you're just coming not, out. Yeah, yeah you're not, not the first one. To, yeah, and yeah. even the chiasm, I'm adapting that from Edward Greenstein, who's mm. a, a biblical scholar, uh, Old Testament scholar, very well respected. So if if you t- if you adopt my way of counting it, then the command not to bear Yahweh's name in vain is the second command. Okay. And the, the reason that's helpful to see is that one and two are standing at the head of the rest of the commands. Okay. So then the first command is no other gods. In other words, I am Yahweh your God, yep. and two is you are my people. Okay, don't bear my name in vain. Okay, so the I think these two. And then following are that, we get maybe some more, more specifics, specifics about right. how you actually would mm. do yes. this. Yes, yep. but okay. the first right. two sort of encapsulate the covenant um, formula, which is I will be your God and you will be my people. And you see that through all through Exodus and all through the prophets. Anytime they're renewing the covenant or wanting to go back to their roots, then God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And so I think those two sort of stand at the head and say, you know, if you get these two things right here, the rest are fleshing mm. out what, what that might look like. Yeah. What does it look like to be his people? You honor the Sabbath, you honor your parents, you you don't murder, etc. Right, right. Okay. So you said at the beginning the popular idea of cursing. Mm-hmm using God's name frivolous, frivolously. Yeah. It would could that be one application of it or Sure, yeah. Is I, it you know you see I what I'm saying? I certainly don't want to Are you going to stand up in church right. if no, someone no. preaches on that and say heresy, heresy? No, no. Yeah. I think it has um, nothing to do with cussing or profanity. Nothing. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, I think cussing and profanity are are problematic. Right. 
just as problematic as they ever were, they fall under that same umbrella if of bearing God's name gotcha. well, right? So we've just narrowed it gonna, too much. Right. We've just narrowed it too much. So it's not just cussing. Right. It's not just oath taking. It's yeah. how you drive. It's how you treat your employees. Right. It's how you, um, how, it's your entertainment habits and what you're filling your mind with. Like everything we do yeah. is a reflection of on how well we're living out our vocation mm, as God's mm, people. Yep. So there isn't any dimension of life that is untouched by this command. So then sometimes people have pushed back and say, well, well, then if it's everything, then it's nothing. And it mm. sort of s- seemed like maybe what you were asking, Todd, a moment ago. Like, if, if the command's going to be that broad, why even have it? Isn't that mm. all the commands? And that's why I think the counting is important yeah. because mm. it puts no, these no, two kind of at the yeah. at the head of the list. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it is. And it makes sense because it wouldn't make sense to have, you know, something particular and then something broad. Right. And then, right. And then more yeah. particular. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That and it makes al- sense. Yeah, and as I said earlier, it also doesn't make sense to have the command against false witness and right. a command against false oaths in the same list of 10. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And it kind of goes back to that discussion of this is for the whole nation. It's unique that not only the king is going to be a God-bearer, an image-bearer, but the whole nation is going to yeah. do this. And so yeah. that would be unique to that time of, no, no, all of you are supposed to do this. Uh, the nation of yeah. Israel would have looked at it and say, wow, the other nation's just the king yep. is, is the image bearer here, but now we all yep. get to do this. We all get to participate in this. Exactly. So in other in other cultures, you see most of the laws have to do, do with in, things that are international in scope. Mm. You can't make alliances with other kings. You can't go to war against other kings, um, those sorts of things. And in Israel, you have these remarkably specific, like do not murder and do not commit adultery. Mm. Well, well, why so specific? And that's because every single Israelite is thought as, of as a covenant partner of Yahweh. So the things that are international in other right. treaties are now interpersonal in, mm. in Israel's treating with okay. Yahweh. Yeah. Well, this has been so helpful. Uh, this is really good. I really yeah. enjoyed the book. And we fun. just appreciate you coming on and talking to us about yeah, this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so we, we encourage people to go pick up the book and... Um, read through kind of her interpretation of how you interpret the second slash third command, however you <laughs> yeah. want to order it. So yeah. yep. thanks so much. Hey, this is Todd. We have received a lot of good feedback on this podcast. We have also received some questions. Uh, you have been emailing them to us and we want to encourage you to consider that. That's right. So we plan on doing an episode where we just answer questions. So we'd love to have you send those things in to podcast at westernseminary.edu, podcast singular at westernseminary.edu. And Todd, how can they send those questions? Well, you can either type them out in the email, but what would be even better is if you created an audio file uh, asking the question and send that to us right we need to keep that 20 seconds and we'll play it and so send in we'd love to hear the audio clip of your voice we'd play it and then we'd answer the question as best we can thanks thanks for listening to food trucks in babylon the music you hear is provided by our friends at humble beast records if you like the show please leave us a review and feel free to subscribe to learn more about western seminary visit us at westernseminary.edu Thank you.